Hello, and welcome to the Healing in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Emmy Marie, a certified trauma-informed coach and complex trauma survivor. Along my own healing journey, I've found music to be both a supportive tool for processing emotions and a source of solace and comfort during tough times. On this show, I'm breaking down popular songs through the lens of trauma recovery, healing, and personal growth. So let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Healing and Harmony podcast. As I shared in the intro, my name is Emmy Marie. I'm a certified trauma-informed coach and complex trauma survivor. You might know me from my Instagram or my TikTok, Blooming with Emmy, where I share content related to healing and thriving after trauma pretty much daily. I'm going to share a bit more about why I started this podcast, as this is the first episode, and I'm so happy to have you here listening. So a little bit about me, since I was really young, I've been the kind of person who loves lyrics and is really attuned to like memorizing lyrics. I remember knowing every lyric to Shania Twain's hits. Shania Twain was my first concert on my ninth birthday. I went there with my best friend at the time and my mom and her mom and just sang every single lyric and was so obsessed. I remember when I was about 12, I think, Googling the lyrics to Sugar Were Going Down by Fall Out Boy and being really confused about what a notch in your bed post meant because I was way too young to understand that. But, you know, I remember like printing those lyrics out on my parents' dial-up computer and like studying them. And to this day, when I hear that song, I can still sort of see that document where I was um, reading the lyrics off of, which is really funny. And then in high school, I remember constantly using song lyrics as the captions to my Flickr photos. I was one of those girlies that was always on Flickr, posting my photography and captioning them with what I consider to be very deep lyrics, um, which some of them certainly were. So I decided to start this podcast as a way to unpack some of my favorite songs through the lens of trauma recovery, mental health or healing, because I am still the girly who loves lyrics. I am never going to claim to be like a music aficionado or like really understanding of a lot of like musical theory. I've never like studied music or anything like that. So if you are someone that has, uh, I apologize if anything I say is super cringy. I am no by no means trying to be an expert, but just trying to kind of share my analysis or my thoughts of lyrics through this lens of trauma recovery and mental health, since that is really important to me personally. And it's what I do as my job as a core creator, a content creator, and a one-on-one coach. So in the past couple of years, you're going to notice that I have reclaimed my love for Taylor Swift. Maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't, but you're going to notice throughout this podcast because I decided to make this first season all Taylor Swift because I have so much Taylor Swift content to go through. So during Taylor's debut and Fearless era back in 2006, 2008, I was a sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader when Fearless came out. And I was obsessed. I owned that album. Um, I listened to it all the time. My favorite song, I think, was The Way I Loved You. Still an absolute banger. Um, But by the time Speak Now came out, I was in 10th grade. I had started to be in my abusive relationship that you will learn more about as you listen to this podcast. And I was ultimately an angsty teenager that started gravitating more towards indie music, rap music, alternative rock, uh, to really more match my feelings. I felt like I kind of outgrew Taylor Swift. I no longer connected to her. And for the next decade, I ultimately thought she was kind 
kind of gasp annoying or overrated or kind of cringy because all I ever heard were her hits on the radio, which for the record, I've now come to love and totally reclaim, even shake it off. Um, But for a long period of time, I was just like very indifferent, if not like I don't like Taylor Swift outright. So when Evermore was released at the end of 2020, Evermore is one of Taylor's albums, if you aren't familiar, I remember listening to the song Tis the Damn Season and being like, oh, I love this. I love the song. This is so good. Um, And I started kind of diving into Evermore and then Folklore. And then I started getting into like Reputation and Lover and started like re-listening to all her albums, which thus ensued my full obsession with Taylor Swift. She has now dominated my 2021 and 2022 Spotify wrapped charts. She was like all five of my top five songs this year were Taylor Swift songs. So I have fully reclaimed my love for Taylor. It is actually much stronger now than it ever was when I was younger. And I'm definitely now known by my friends as the one who loves Taylor Swift. I am lucky enough to be seeing her in Seattle this summer. I am so excited for that. And I don't even really have any Swifty friends to invite. Um, I'm bringing my partner, Luke, who is kind of vicariously a Swifty at this point because I listen to her constantly and I'm hoping to meet some friends there. Uh, But anyways, that's a little bit about me, my relationship to Taylor Swift. So whether you yourself are a Swifty, you're probably drawn to this podcast because of its content. Maybe you're indifferent or you're not a fan at all, but you're here listening because you follow my work and you're interested to, you know, hear what I've got to say. Um, I really hope you enjoy listening to my take and analysis on some Taylor anthems this season. Next season, I'm going to be exploring more artists as well, but I've decided since I have so much Taylor content, so many songs of hers I'm just obsessed with, I wanted to commit to this season being entirely Swift focused. At the recording of this podcast episode number one, I have no idea how many um, episodes there are going to be or how frequently they will be posted, but I will keep you updated. And before we get started, I just want to invite you that if you are listening to this and throughout the episode, you're feeling seen by what I'm sharing, you're feeling connected to the content, um, feel free to check out my website, emmymarie.com for all my free resources, ways you can work with me, everything I have to offer. So without further ado, let's get started. In today's episode, we are unpacking the lyrics of Mean by Taylor Swift from her 2010 album, Speak Now. I wish we could all listen to this together right now. I wish I could play this song throughout the episode, but due to copyright law, I can't simply play the song on this podcast. So I'm going to be going through and reading all of the lyrics, but if you want to like freshen up on the song or listen to it before we get started, I would go ahead and go listen to it now, then come right back to hear my analysis. Okay, so we begin with verse one, which I will read and then kind of get into my analysis. So it begins with you with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. You have knocked me off my feet again, got me feeling like I'm nothing. You with your voice like nails on a chalkboard calling me out when I'm wounded. You picking on the weaker man. So before we dive in, I want to make it really clear that my interpretation of this song is not like a speculation on what Taylor is actually singing about. I'm just analyzing her lyrics through my own perspective. So I want to make that super clear. I'm not trying to say this is what happened to Taylor. Uh, That's not the intention behind this podcast. It's more like, how do I personally relate to this song? So from the moment the song begins, Taylor's voice starts cueing us into the reality of whatever relationship she is describing here. She begins to let us into that dynamic that is happening with the words, you with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me. So this immediately paints a picture of what she'll continue to describe through the song, which is verbal abuse. 
And we all have probably heard that phrase of sticks and stones can't break my bones or can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Here she's directly comparing words to knives and swords and weapons and sort of telling the audience right away that, yes, words can be weapons. Words can hurt. So do I know exactly who or what Taylor is referring to or what this song is about? No. And once again, that is not the point of this. I think one of the most beautiful things about music is, yes, we could spend our time trying to figure out exactly who the artist is literally writing music about, and that's fine. But like most art, music exists to be interpreted and related to in our own way. So I'm not entirely sure, listener, how you will react or relate to this song, but I'm here to chat about my experience of surviving verbal and emotional abuse and how I can very much relate to this song as a survivor. So Taylor goes on to describe how this is a reoccurring experience within the relationship. She sings, you knocked me off my feet again, got me feeling like I'm nothing. What I love is her use of knocked me off my feet again, which is not inherently a bad thing, right? Like sometimes we say you know, you knocked me off my feet, like in a good way or just in like a surprising way. But this is followed with the phrase got me feeling like I'm nothing. We know that this is the process of falling to the ground, perhaps inching closer to rock bottom. So I don't know about you, listener, but if you've been through any kind of abuse, including verbal, emotional, you know how repetitive it comes. In fact, we can get so accustomed to this experience that it becomes normalized and it becomes something we expect. So she's like, you knocked me on my feet again. I am feeling like I'm nothing. Here we go again. It's happening again. Swift continues to describe the dynamic of this relationship by saying, you picking on the weaker man. To me, this reminds me of the aspect in many abusive relationships, if not all, whether it's family, workplace, romantic, there is some sort of imbalance of power happening. Typically, the abuser has power over the victim in some capacity, whether it's age, authority, privilege, physical power, which makes it all the more easier for them to continue the cycle as a victim doesn't have as much ability or power to stand up for themselves or leave. So sometimes when people look at abusive relationships, they're not really considering the very real power dynamics that are at play, and they just see two humans on an equal playing field, and why doesn't the victim just walk away? But so often you know, the victim really doesn't have the power they need, whether it's literal physical power or social power, financial power, in order to walk away. So the next part of the song is the pre-chorus where Taylor says, well, you can take me down with just a single blow, but you don't know what you don't know. As the first verse slash pre-chorus ends, we are met with Swift starting to shift the tone of the song away from just noticing and observing all the ways this person is harming her and into this phrase, but you don't know what you don't know that will be repeated over and over again, which is implying to the audience that there is some trick up her sleeve, some knowledge she is holding, and it's making me personally very delighted to hear what that is. So now we arrive at the chorus, which is... Someday I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever going to be is mean. Someday I'll be big enough so you can't hit me and all you're ever going to be is mean. Why you got to be so mean? So we are delivered to this incredible chorus for the first time where Swift is essentially promising her future empowerment. While she might still be in a place of feeling really low and under the thumb of this person who is controlling or harming her, she's envisioning a time in the future where she will overcome the situation, become empowered, and ultimately overthrow the perpetrator or overcome or surpass the perpetrator in emotional maturity and success. 
she reinforces the statement all you're ever going to be is mean to say that meanness while it makes the abuser feel empowered now and it gives the abuser some sort of control over her is becoming their only personality trait and all that they can really rely on at this point so she's pointing out all you're going to be is mean you are nothing more than that as we know, there's so many aspects of a person that can elevate them to positions of power, success, and happiness that have nothing to do with your ability to put others down. So this perpetrator uses their power to rise up through harming others, like the character Swift is representing in the song or her herself. The chorus is letting us know and reminding us that being mean is not really a sustainable strategy to elevate someone to happiness or personal success. In fact, Taylor almost starts to play the game the abuser has been playing on her by saying, all you're ever going to be is mean. Throughout their relationship, it seems like this person may be telling her, oh, all you'll ever be is this little whiny, worthless girl is not even good at singing, um, which is very similar to my experience of surviving an abusive relationship. And she's realizing, no, I'll actually grow. I will develop. I'll become even better. But all you're ever going to be is mean. So how does that feel to be degraded or minimized to this one aspect of yourself? So here in her Speak Now era, Taylor is already conveying some of her dedication to karma and revenge and trusting the process that mean, hurtful, abusive people will eventually get what is coming to them that we see later on in her albums. And while that is not always true, if you know, you know, not our, our abusers don't always get what's coming to them. They don't always get punished. We don't always get justice. But through the lens of the song, which is, you know, in a way like a fantasy, although it could be her real experience, I just absolutely love this idea that, look, I'm going to grow. I'm going to evolve. I'm going to become better. But you are just going to stay where you're at. And that's your problem to deal with. So that brings us to verse two, where she says, you with your switching sides and your wildfire lies and your humiliation. You have pointed out my flaws again as if I don't already see them. I walk with my head down trying to block you out because I'll never impress you. I just want to feel okay again. So in the second verse, Taylor does a really outstanding job of conveying a number of emotional and verbal abuse techniques in a really short period of time. So she starts with the describing switching sides, which to me reminds me of how an abuser can always be like, oh, I'm on your side. I care about you. I love you so much. And then switch sides and like kind of switch their demeanor, switch their behavior, switch everything they're saying and how they're acting to be against you really quickly. Then she follows that with wildfire lies and humiliation, which I think is pretty clearly connected to the different kinds of emotional abuse techniques that abusers will use, such as gaslighting, smear campaigns, making up lies about you, accusing you of things that you never did, outright humiliation, ridicule, de degradation of their victims. An abuser's goal is always to keep power over their victim, and oftentimes psychological and emotional manipulation is how they get that done. In fact, it can be even more powerful than physical violence when it comes to manipulating someone into staying because there isn't as much proof and it's much easier to gaslight compared to physical violence. So I am not trying to compare or uh, say, you know, one is worse than the other, but I'm just trying to say that if you have been a victim of physical violence, it's much easier to show the proof of that. And it's harder for the abuser to lie about what they did. Although, of course, they still find a way, which is absolutely horrible. Um, but if you are a victim of verbal or emotional abuse, it is much harder to prove that you're being abused. And it's a lot easier for an abuser to say, you're just making things up, you're being dramatic, etc. 
So she continues on in this verse by saying, you have pointed out my flaws again, as if I don't already see them, which is an experience that I personally am intimately familiar with. Even her tone here of this starts to sound like, really, are we doing this again? Are you actually going to point out my flaws again? Believe me, I see them. To me, this conveys some of the exhaustion that you can feel if you're in a relationship with someone who is making your life hell. It feels never-ending and repetitive, and that's because the entire focus is to get you knocked down to absolute rock bottom so you have no self-esteem whatsoever to stand on. And ultimately, that takes time and a lot of reminders of how bad you are, bringing us to what Taylor says here of, you have pointed out my flaws again as if I don't already see them. As I am now in the field of healing and trauma recovery, I know that we need to be reminded over and over that we are worthy, that we are valuable, that we are lovable when this damage has been done to us, because we have probably been reminded over and over again of our flaws. Obviously, it's good to consider and be aware of our flaws or our weaknesses, to take responsibility of our behavior and to be real about our downfalls or our impact on other people. And when it comes to the healing and trauma recovery process, pretty much everyone I've ever worked with has a good enough check on their ego, and they really need reminders that they are in fact good enough after someone has told them for years and years how worthless and awful they are. So if Taylor was coming to me with this, if she was a client of some kind, I would absolutely see that she needs to be told that she is good enough when she has been through someone repeatedly telling her over and over how flawed and how bad she is. So the next couple lines further further illustrate what the impact of verbal and emotional abuse could be. As she says, I walk with my head down trying to block you out because I'll never impress you. This is a really clear image of someone walking with their head down. Their body language is contracted in on themselves, which paints a picture of the somatic experience of abuse. Oftentimes, we just want to cave into ourselves and hide, trying to make it all go away. Maybe we've been running away from it. Maybe we've been trying to fight it off, but it is not working. It is not ending. So we get to this point of sort of shutting down and contracting and just trying to survive the impact. Also, I think it's worth noting here that she says, I just want to feel okay again, not I want you to stop. To me, it sounds like at this point, she's sort of resigning to the fact that this person is never going to stop. She's never going to be able to impress them. Nothing is ever going to get better. And I think that's a really important part of that healing process, honestly, is giving up. That sounds weird, but what I mean by that is we have to give up hope that this person who is making our lives miserable is ever going to stop. Because so often that hope is what gets us to stay in a situation that is destroying our life. So at this point, Taylor is really saying, I've given up on you treating me better. I just want to feel okay again. I just want to find a way to survive this. I have given up hope that you are ever going to change. So now we are brought to this kind of pre-chorus or interlude or bridge. I honestly don't know what to call it, but she says, I bet you got pushed around. Somebody made you cold, but the cycle ends right now because you can't lead me down that road and you don't know what you don't know. So this is probably my favorite stanza or you know, section of the entire song where Taylor brings our attention to the idea of intergenerational trauma and how so often abusers were once victims of abuse themselves who were never able or never chose to do the healing process, the healing work. And instead now they project their own shame and trauma and pain onto other people. So she says, I bet you got pushed around and somebody made you cold, but that cycle ends right now because you don't know what you don't know. And then continues into the chorus. 
As someone who has done a workshop multiple times for my community called Breaking the Cycle, one of which is happening this month, March 29th, 2023, I am pretty much obsessed with this line because it fully illustrates the choice that survivors have to make in order to heal when we have to decide I'm not going to perpetuate the cycle again, despite how incredibly difficult that is, despite not knowing what else to do. It's this, this decision we make that says we're done with this and we can almost feel pity for the people who are not able to break the cycle. And that pity can happen right alongside our pain and anger for what they've done to us. It's important to respect the nuance of being able to pity and almost empathize with our abuser while still calling them out, holding them accountable, and not letting them hurt us anymore. It's okay if you are compassionate or empathetic for your abuser, and it is also okay if you hate them with every fiber of your being and you do not have any mercy for them at all. Both of those experiences are totally valid, and if you're somewhere in the middle, that is also valid and totally okay. So after this, Taylor returns to the chorus, which I find just all the more powerful as we've now had more context and build up for the situation that she is declaring she is going to escape from. She's saying, I'm done with all this. All you're ever going to be is mean, but not me. I will be so much more. I'm curious about the ways we can learn more about Swift or her character she's portraying here from the way she describes essentially her revenge and healing arc as living in a big old city and being big enough so someone can't hit her. I know that Taylor is one of the most popular and wealthy musicians in the entire industry, and I think this line is really prophetic in a way where she's saying, I will continue to rise to the top. This is only her third album that she wrote when she was 19, I believe. It came out when she was 20. So she is declaring to the world, I am going to rise to the top. You cannot stop me. My music is my life and I will be successful no matter what you said about me. And as someone, me, Emmy, who also has a career as a public figure, someone that serves others and who tried to, who has tried to unapologetically take up space, this is incredibly inspiring to me. I don't want to ever reach nearly the level of fame that Taylor has, but I do recognize the power for me in my life to be seen when I spent so long sort of cowering and hiding in fear due to my abusive relationship. This is not like a universal goal or a need that everyone has. There are so many ways that we can heal without taking up a tremendous amount of space, experiencing fame, or reaching a lot of people. So I just want to make that clear. We might become so big that they can't hit us by having a loving support system around us that protects us from the impact of that abuse. And maybe we don't live in a big old city, like Taylor says here, but we live around people who make us feel loved. We live in a community that we feel really connected to, and we are no longer at the mercy of this one individual person or family or system that um, harmed us. And I think that ultimately is where the power is derived from. For Swift, it might be immense fame, but for you, it might be a tight-knit community and personal success that feels good for you, and that's what I think is really important. So now let's get to like my second favorite, tying for favorite maybe, part of the song, which is the bridge. We love Taylor's bridges, if you know, you know. So here we are, she says, and I can see you years from now in a bar talking over a football game with that big loud opinion, but nobody's listening, washed up and ranting about the same old bitter things, drunk and grumbling on about how I can't sing, but all you are is mean, all you are is mean and a liar and pathetic and alone in life and mean and mean and mean and mean. So Taylor really unleashes here, which I am obsessed with. I think this is perfect. 
Um, in the bridge, Swift begins to describe a future for this abuser when Swift has left. She is done being treated like this, and she imagines this person has not changed at all. So often, abusers love us because we tolerate their bullshit, and some part of us knows that we are tolerating something that most people would immediately walk away from, and that's a part of the psychology of being a survivor. So in the bridge, Swift is imagining this person talking over a football game with their big, loud opinion, but no one cares anymore. No one's listening. She was putting up with this person and... But when it comes down to it, most people in their life are not going to put up with them. Swift, Taylor, this character says, I'm done. And she's imagining a future where everyone else is done with this person's bullshit as well. She describes this washed up and ranting person talking about the same old bitter thing because all they are is mean and a liar and pathetic and alone in life. And I'm laughing a little bit because I really feel like we hear the teenage side of Taylor coming out and I know for me when I do inner child work or inner teenage work specifically a lot of times my inner teenager sounds just about the same so honestly if you have been in an abusive relationship of any kind and you could access anger over what you went through this line just really hits home I definitely like to hold nuance in my thoughts about the capacity that our abusers can grow can heal could be better but sometimes we just need to let our 20 year old our 19 year old our 15 year old self channeled here through Taylor Swift saying that all you're ever going to be is washed up and pathetic and mean and alone in life. And you did that to yourself through your choices and your actions. So I just love that for her. I respect the hell out of her pettiness. I've been there. I'm still there sometimes. And there's no shame in that. So often we want to put ourselves in boxes. We want to think healing means forgiveness or healing means I'm able to hold space all the time for conflicting views. But sometimes you're allowed to just be petty. You are allowed to, you know, say this person is just going to be mean for the rest of their life. Good riddance. You're allowed to access that anger because to me, that anger tells me that you know that what you went through was not okay. And that is a huge part of the healing process. So after that, the chorus repeats. I am certainly not the kind of person that knows the correct jargon for analyzing music, as I've mentioned before, but I find the last chorus to really be quite jovial and celebratory in nature. The guitar is kicking up, the country twang is going on, and we are really just celebrating the fact that she has overcome whatever bullshit this dude told her. Um, I say dude here, but obviously it could be any gender, um, about her lack of a talent about her ability to sing or about her work worth in general and yes it's a little derivative and simplistic and there's a lack of nuance to say all someone is ever going to be is mean but sometimes like i said we need to let our inner teenager our inner 12 year old our inner 20 year old really just let them have it and this doesn't mean we actually do anything we don't necessarily or hopefully try to interrupt this person's healing or growth or whatever path they're on you know, when it comes down to it, ultimately, I want my abuser to heal and grow and get better. And a part of me sometimes just needs to say that maybe all you're ever going to be is mean. And actually, that's a very light term to use. Mean is pretty generous, um, but not to me. I will not let you do what you did to me. And I will not let it impact me. Taylor really makes it clear in this song that she is not going to let this experience impact her behavior. She's not going to let it bring her down to this person level and become someone like them. So those are my thoughts, my experiences, and connections to the song Mean by Taylor Swift. 
And this is from the album Speak Now. I would love to hear your thoughts, your reactions. I know people kind of have a lot of opinions about Taylor Swift's music, so please be kind. Um, if you have any feedback, feel free to shoot me an email. I will put in the show notes my email address or some other way to contact me. I guess I haven't quite figured that out yet. If you're needing any support in the season of your life, whether you relate to the song and you're like, oh my God, I have been through a relationship like this and it is still impacting the way I speak to myself or my self-esteem, uh, check out my website for opportunities to work with me, either if it's one-on-one coaching or it's through one of my courses or programs. I'm gearing up to launch my Blooming Relationships program uh, or course for the sixth time this spring coming up in just a few weeks so if you are someone that is working on creating safe empowered happy relationships after a history of trauma of any kind check that course out i created it for you i also have a number of free resources available as well and you can find everything at emmymarie.com so that is all for now folks i hope you have a great day and i'll see you next time on the healing and harmony podcast 